So we're going to continue in Colossians today, and we're going to start uh, in chapter 3 this morning. Uh, you know, one of my old shows that I used to really love was Candid Camera. And one of the, uh, I think one of my favorite bits was uh, they had this, this actor go in, on a street corner and just start looking up. And before long, some other people started coming and he looked up. And then he looked down, and they all started looking down. And then he got down on all fours. And he was look, acting like he'd lost a contact. You know, was looking around. And people began to look. They had no idea what he was looking for. They didn't talk to him. They just began to look for it. And pretty soon, after there were about 10 people or so, he just stood up and walked away. People continued to look for something. They had no idea what they were looking for. They just kept on the ground going, what, you know, what are we looking at? You know, what is this? What are we, can we find anything? You know, that's how some people go through life. Looking down looking for something that's really even maybe not there, looking for something more to life. If we want to live free from our past, which is what we're going to talk about today, we need to look in four other directions besides down. So let's read Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, and then we will come back and go through that together. Here's what it says. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Now in Colossians, we move at this point really from doctrine to conduct. You know, what we believe for the most part really determines how we behave. People say, well, I believe certain things, but they behave in a very different way. I would say they don't really believe how they say they believe. They really believe a different way. So Paul gives us the doctrine, has been giving us the doctrine in the first couple of chapters, and now he turns to how this doctrine should affect our behavior. We've seen in the first two chapters how Christ is supreme in the world, and he's supreme in the church, and he should be preeminent in our own lives, putting him first uh, and giving him first and best of everything in our lives. Paul's talked about how we've been set free from legalism, and how our sin has been completely eradicated by being nailed to the cross with Christ. Just like those songs we just sang. Now he turns to how that internal change should be seen in our outward behavior. Instead of looking down as if searching for the answers which we cannot find, we should do these four things. And the first is this. Look up at eternal things. Look up at eternal things. Let's go back and read verses 1 through 4 in Colossians chapter 3. It says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. 
For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also will appear with him in glory. If you remember last week in Colossians 2.20, it started off with, if with Christ you died, and now we see, Paul says, if then you've been raised with Christ, so we have both died with Christ and now been raised with Christ. And what he's saying is if there's a spiritual reality in your life, because of your new life in Christ, then seek the things that are above. Seek them out in order to possess them. Uh, This word seek is like an Easter egg hunt. It's like seeking them out in order to gain them, to get them, trying desperately to find it. Seek out the things of God. Seek out the things that are eternal. Uh, This word seek is in its present uh, tense here. So we are to continually be seeking the things that are eternal where Christ is seated with authority and victory. In fact, our minds should be consumed with the heavenly and the eternal instead of the earthly. Now, does that work out in real life for us? Let me ask you this. How much time do you spend thinking and worrying about your finances, your jobs, your sports teams, your hobbies, compared to how much time do we worry about the eternal destination of our friends and families, uh, Christ's church, becoming more like Jesus? You see, looking down is not a decision many times. It's kind of a default when we just flat out aren't looking up. You know, for for many of us who are Christians, who have given our lives to Christ, we don't make decisions daily to go, you know what, I'm going to stop focusing on eternal things. I'm just going to look at the earthly things. We don't make those kind of decisions. But what happens is, if we don't constantly and intentionally look to heavenly things, to eternal things, we just begin to drift. It's almost as if our chins become heavy, and we just get consumed by the things of this world. Where our minds are focused, God directs our hearts. I mean, that's a biblical principle, folks. We get the opportunity to direct our minds. We get the opportunity to decide what it is we think about, what we are obsessed about, what we, what we continually put into our minds. But you see, our minds and where they're focused, uh, that kind of directs our hearts. If we are focusing our minds on the eternal thing, God directs our hearts that way. In verse 4, Paul reminds us what he's already taught us. Let's look at verse 4 again. It says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, here he takes us through the entire life with Christ. We died to our old life. Our our new life is hidden in Christ. Uh, That word hidden means like, like a treasure in a chest. It's put away, it's locked away in Christ. He's our our source of life. He's not just the source of it, but he's the ever-defining center of our lives, or he should be. You know, we will be united with him when he comes in in the shadow of his glory. We'll be united with him. We'll participate in that with him, not taking glory away from him, but just being a part of that glory, giving him glory, being in the shadow of his glory, all of that. Paul's saying, look, this is going to be, this is how it is. If we are to truly live free from our past, we just have to start looking up on a consistent basis. 
We keep our minds, our focus, our obsession on the things of eternity where our current residence is, and our lives will change drastically. Number two, look out for your own behavior. Look out for your own behavior. Look at verses five through nine. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Since we have been crucified and raised with Christ, we now have the power to slay those sinful desires that want to destroy us. We have that ability. While we can't completely eradicate our sinful nature from our lives as maybe we'd like to do, living in Christ is far more than doing our pet sins a little bit less and going to church when it's convenient. That's not what it is to live a victorious life, folks. We saw last week that we shouldn't judge one another with legalism or even our own convictions that are not specifically addressed in God's word. We shouldn't place those on others. We shouldn't put that, that yoke of burden on them. However, however, freedom and grace are not an excuse for sinfulness. Romans 6, 1 and 2 says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. If we have died to sin, how then shall we live in it? You see, these two can't coexist. We should never embrace sin because we know grace and forgiveness are just around the corner. And let's just be honest. We do that sometimes, don't we? We're at that Y in the road. We know the direction God wants us to go, but this is so appealing. And we as Christians sometimes are the worst about saying, Oh, I really shouldn't do this. But if I do, God will forgive me. Folks, that's a dangerous, that's a dangerous mindset. That's a dangerous thought process. We don't want to take advantage of God's grace, folks. In verse 5, Paul talks about sensual sins. And it's interesting what he says. He doesn't say, put these aside. Do them less. Be careful not to do these too much. Look what he says. He says, kill these things. Kill them. Paul talks about sexual sins more than any other sins in the Bible. And there are three, three reasons for that, I think. The first is sexual sin is different than other sins. Now, I know that some of you go, wait a minute. I thought you, you've said before that all sin is the same. Yes, theologically, all sin separates us from God. So in that sense, whether you tell a lie or you commit adultery or you murder someone, all of those separate us from God at an equal distance. Being connected with God is pass-fail. It's no curve. Okay? But sins are not all the same in how they affect us and how they affect others. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 through 20, the Bible says this, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 
See, the reason sexual sins are so uh, important not to commit is because Christ is now a resident of our bodies as Christians. And so when we participate in sexual sins, we, in essence, take him along with us. That's the first reason. Second reason is sexual sin is everywhere. I mean, folks, it's everywhere. You, you can't turn on the television. You can't look at a movie. You can't, you can't drive down the highway without seeing that it's a big deal. It's all over. In our culture, it's, it's, it's just everywhere. The third reason is that sexual sin destroys people, and destroys families, destroys cultures. I mean, it's a big thing, folks. There are, there are literally cultures that have been destroyed by first individuals sinning and committing sexual sins and then destroy, this destruction of families and then the destruction of families leads to the destruction of the culture. There are two, God has two plans for sex. That's it. Two plans. For the single, his plan is purity and celibacy. Period. For the married, it's a mutually fulfilling sexual relationship inside of marriage. Now, Let's be careful, folks, that we don't get all high and mighty thinking as long as you aren't doing anything bad, you're doing God's will. Okay? God's will is not only not doing the bad things, but working really hard at doing the right things. In other words, it's not enough to, to not hate people. We must also love people. It's not enough to just not do the bad thing. We've got to do the right thing. You know, a few couple of months ago when we took those... Um, marriage assessments as a, as a congregation, um, we didn't see anybody's, we couldn't see anybody's individual scores, but we could, as pastors, see the whole church's con, you know, conglomerated score all together. And we didn't know who was who, but we could see the, the trends. And, and having a good sex life, folks, was in the top three problems. I don't remember if it was number two or number three, but but it was one of, the, one of the three biggest problems in marriages right in this room. Again, God's will is not only not doing the bad things, but it's working really hard at doing the right things. One of the best ways to protect each other from the wrong things is to be doing the right things. So when I say a mutually fulfilling sexual relationship inside of marriage, that's what the Bible teaches. So let's be careful not to say, well, I'm not doing this really bad thing, so I'm good. Maybe not. Maybe not. Talk to your spouse. Maybe things could get a little better. In verse 6, Paul says that because of these sins, the wrath of God is coming. Now, folks, again, one of the key things about, about understanding the Bible is being really observant and remembering who people are talking about. Paul's speaking to Christians in the church here. He's not talking to those who are far from God. So we must understand that while God's discipline and anger towards sin does not affect us positionally with Christ, God is still angry at the sin we commit that brings shame and embarrassment to the name and cause of Christ. He's saying, listen, you Christians, be careful, because the wrath of God is coming. If you're participating in these things, Paul reminds us that this kind of behavior was common before we knew Christ, but should be put to death by our new life in Christ. Now, if you cruise through that first list and you said, I'm in pretty good shape. I don't have a problem with those things. I'm, that kind of list, I'm, I'm pretty good with that. Maybe occasionally, you know, look at a billboard too long as I'm driving everywhere. But I, I'm pretty good. I'm really pretty good. 
Then Paul lists some more socially acceptable sins that we don't want to talk about sometimes. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and finally lying. Paul says these behaviors have no place in a Christian's life or in the church, and he says to take them off. And the picture he's really portraying here is take them off like a dirty diaper. <laughs> okay? When we do these things, it's like a dirty diaper. Take, just take, get rid of it. In fact, you can't put a new one on until you take off and get rid of the old one. Otherwise, it really doesn't, doesn't help any. So after Paul instructs us to, to do these two things, look up at eternal things and look out for your own behavior, he suggests that we look within at the spiritual change that has occurred. Paul reminds us again that after taking the old off, we have put the new on, the new self. Look in verse 10. Oh, there it is. Whoa. Going too fast now. It says, And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, we're going to go more in depth in this uh, next week. But I want you to notice that he's not telling us something to do, but something that already is. We already have put on the new self. If you have given your life to Christ, if you have come to the place in your life where you realize you're a sinner, you have realized you can't do anything to fix that sinful thing, uh, sinful nature, um, and, and now you've decided to put your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross uh, to pay for your sins, if you have done that, then he's saying, look, you've already put on the new self. It's already a done deal. We need to claim it and embrace it in our hearts and minds. And I don't mean, you know, eh, you know, say it and it's done. I mean, we have to really, like, embrace it. This is done through the renewing of knowledge in our minds, through the proper understanding of who we are and what has happened. And the only way we get that understanding is from God's Word. For us to really get what happened when we gave our lives to Christ, for us to, to really understand the profound things that took place, uh, you can't just pick that up out of thin air. It comes from understanding God's word, reading it, understanding it, studying it, memorizing it. And you can't have victory in these areas, folks, without the renewing of our minds. We have to spend time really renewing what is in our mind. So after we look up at eternal things, after we look out for our own behavior and then look within at the spiritual change that has occurred, lastly, we need to look around and see others as Christ does. You know, the gospel should break down the walls of prejudice. Look what it says in verse 11. It says here, and he's talking about here in the church, here at the foot of the cross, here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. In Christ, folks, there are no barriers, no barriers of race or nationality, religious background, education, social standing, wealth or position. You know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, somebody said to me, hey, uh, uh, my daughter wants to come to church with me, um, and, and I just want to see if it's okay. I, yeah, it's okay. Why wouldn't it be okay? And, and she said, well, 
her, her husband's black. Um, you're like, okay, he's a human, right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm still not quite understanding the question. She said, well, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I really am kind of dumbfounded that you would ask. Now, folks, we need to live our lives in a way that people should never ask it's okay for somebody to come to our church. Oh, my friend wants to come to church, but they don't have very much money. They can't wear clothes as nice as you, Pastor Michael. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, bad example, all right? That, 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 look, some folks, those should never be barriers in our church. Oh, they, they, they came from the wrong side of the tracks. There's no wrong side of the tracks for Jesus. All of us have equal access to the cross of Christ and salvation that comes through faith in him, folks. It doesn't matter, again, your race, your nationality, your religious background, education, social standing, wealth, position. It doesn't matter. Everybody is equal at the foot of the cross. All of these human barriers of prejudice are old man ways of thinking. Do you hear that? They're old man ways of thinking. They're the ways that lost people think. They're the ways that people who are far from God naturally think. But they're not ways that people who know Jesus should think. In fact, when people ask us the questions, we should be a little dumbfounded and not even know how to answer because we don't even understand what they're asking us because it's so foreign to our thinking. Paul ends this little section by saying Christ is all and is in all. So we must strive for unity through diversity, folks. Listen, uh, last thing that we want, last thing that we want is a church full of people that look and smell and think and, 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 and do everything just like you and I do. It's the last thing we want. We want a very diverse group of people, diverse in many ways, because people out there are diverse in many ways. If our church is all one kind of person, we're going to be able to reach one kind of person. But if our church, through being very diverse types of people, and I'm not talking about sinful behaviors, but I'm just talking about the natural things that, that, that seem to divide people in our culture. If our church has unity within those, uh, those differences, those diversities, guess what? we're going to be able to reach a very diverse group of people. We're going to be able to connect and share the gospel with many different kinds of people. That's what we want. That's what Paul is telling this church that they should be, that they should do. There's just not a difference at the foot of the cross. Folks, at the foot of the cross, all there are are human beings far from God that need to put their faith and trust in Jesus. That's it. And then when we do, that, that, the foot of that cross just kind of sucks us in, and we're all just unified together. You know, that first song that we sang this morning had some interesting words, and it really talks about what we're doing here being kind of the warm-up act. You know, when we sing on Sunday morning, it's kind of a warm-up deal. I mean, the bands here kind of, I don't know if you've ever been to a, a taping of a television show, but usually there's somebody that comes out and they, they kind of warm up the crowd before the show starts, you know. Sunday morning is kind of a warm-up deal for the big concert in heaven. 
you know, the big kashrut that we will participate in for a very, very, very long time. And folks, they're just, we're just all equal when we get there. Now listen, if you're here today and you are still looking down at the ground trying to find your way, give your life to Christ. Let Jesus heal you from your sinfulness. Let Jesus take away your sins, offer you forgiveness and mercy and grace. Let him just wipe your slate clean and let you start anew. But if you're a Christian who finds themselves looking down out of maybe sheer laziness or, or without the power and strength to live free from your past life, look up. Look up. Focus. and Be obsessed with the eternal things. Folks, the, the older I get, the more I think about these things. But one day, I'm going to be laying here uh, uh, in a casket and, and everything I'll ever have done is done. Only what I have done for the kingdom will matter. If people said, well, you know, Michael, he, man, he had the most beautiful manicured lawn you ever saw, which is far from the truth if you know me. But, but that wouldn't benefit anybody. Who cares? Except maybe my wife. We'll talk about that another time. There are so many things that we spend our time and our lives doing that in the end, folks, really won't matter. What will matter is the people that hopefully will line up and say, wow, I remember meeting Pastor Michael at Panera, and he shared the gospel with me, and I gave my life to Christ. Well, I remember coming to a church, or I remember being his neighbor, and him just telling me and helping me figure out how to raise my kids because I was messing up. My own children and grandchildren, hopefully following in my footsteps of loving God. Folks, those are the things that are going to matter. And only if you look up, only if you focus on eternal things, will you be doing those things. Otherwise, Satan will get us so focused on the things down here, we'll say, well, I don't really have time to look up yet. I, I will. I, I, I'm trying. And, and our time will be over. And all we've done is stare at the ground. Look out for your own behavior. And by the way, this particular passage doesn't say it, but let's look out for one another. Look out for our own behavior. Let's live like we really believe what we say we believe. And that's not always easy. That's not always easy. But it is expected. Look within to the spiritual change that has really occurred. Let's understand it. God of the universe sending his son to die and pay for our sins. And how when we give our lives to him, his Holy Spirit comes in us and gives us the power to overcome our sinfulness. And then folks, look around. See others as Christ does. People who need love. People who need him. People who need relationship in his church people that need community. Folks, if we will do these things, we will not live like our past lives. We will be living the life that Christ died for. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this passage in Colossians. It is challenging in our culture to be spiritually, sexually pure. God, help us each one of us, to guard our minds, guard our eyes. 
Father, help us to guard our mouths so that we don't slander one another or, or lie about each other. God, help us to really live out who you saved us to be. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us. We thank you for what he did on the cross to pay for our sins. God, help us now to live the new life. Help us to take off the old life uh, like just a, 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 a dirty overcoat and put on the new life that already exists. Father, we thank you for what you are doing and what you have done in our lives. We pray that you would give us strength now to live it out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.